0: Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are talking with independent filmmaker Paula Eizelt. Paula's work centers around breaking long-held assumptions about the world we live in, which is quite apropos given how she shatters these assumptions in her own life. Iselt is an award-winning filmmaker and documentary maker, and she embodies powerful representation for the Orthodox community. Often, filmmaking as a field is inaccessible to Orthodox Jews. From a lack of kosher food to the inability to observe Shabbat, the Orthodox community is often forced to compromise parts of their identity or observance. Not only is Iselt fighting back against this standard, she's sharing the stories of other Jews who are breaking these stereotypes. We can't talk about positive and complicated representation for Orthodox Jewish women in the media without acknowledging the incredible work that Iselt does. In today's conversation, I want to ask Paula Iselt about her experiences in the film industry as an observant Jewish woman. I want to ask her about the inspiration behind the stories she chooses to tell, especially as they pertain to what she calls disrupting strong-held assumptions. I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Paula Iselt is an independent filmmaker drawn to stories that disrupt strong-held assumptions. Her award-winning documentary feature debut, 93 Queen, was released theatrically across the US and Canada and broadcast nationally on PBS's POV, Arte in France and Germany, You Are in Sweden, Yes Docu in Israel, and CBC in Canada. 93 Korean was released on HBO Max in September of 2020. The film played over 70 film festivals worldwide, won the prestigious Hot Docs First Look Pitch Prize, and was selected for the U.S. State Department's American Film Showcase. 93 Korean's robust impact campaign was instrumental in securing an ambulance and ambulance license for the EMT agency Ezra Nashim. Paula is a graduate of NYU Tisch School of the Arts with a double major in film production and cinema studies. Paula, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, of course. Let's get right into it. So can you tell us a bit about where you're from?
1: Yes, I, I'm from Long Island,
0: New York. Oh, me
1: too, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and, um, and I'm currently, I, and I live in Teaneck, New Jersey.
0: How were you raised? How was your Jewish identity first formed when you were a young person, or you are a young person when you were growing younger? Up? Yeah. Uh, yeah, way younger.
1: Um, I was raised modern Orthodox, so I think what modern Orthodox was like back in the day. Now it's you know there's mm-hmm. there's sub identities and communities within that, but like the typical modern orthodox long Island, uh, um, mm-hmm. way of doing things. I went to, um, after day school from kindergarten mm-hmm. through 12th grade. And, um, I had, yeah, like a really, I think great upbringing in that sense. Um, my grant, my grandparents on my father's side, our Holocaust survivor. So that was, you know, mm-hmm. very much a part of just always in the backdrop of, of my identity and my Jewishness, you know, was the story of, of the Holocaust. Um, but I was, you know, very aware of my Jewishness, um, very proud of it. Um, and also, you know, aware of kind of at that time, what I perceived as certain limitations of of being brought up in a community that was very much an insular community um, within modern orthodoxy.
0: And how has that shifted now? You've gone to college, you've built this incredible career. How has that identity shifted throughout your life?
1: The first real shift happened in high school. Um, I decided I wanted to become a filmmaker. My high school didn't have any film classes or anything with film. So I had a really pave my own path and seek things outside of the school um, I mean I did mm-hmm. I did start a film club in hafter but um, the real experience I, I had to seek outside yeah. so I instead of being a counselor at Jewish summer camp um, what, which a lot mm-hmm. of my peers were doing I stayed back home and I and I interned and I worked in um, a, first a casting, company and then a production company. And I spent like my, the last two summers, um, in high school, like interning. And that was really honestly the first time, um, I truly left this bubble, um, and really interacted with people outside of my community. Cause I was again, brought up in a really Jewish environment and, and my peers were all Jewish and every of the families I knew were Jewish. I can count on my finger how many, Non Jewish people I genuinely knew, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. really it was it was a very formative experience to, to step out of that and you know not only enter the film world but just to see the diversity and meet people um, not from my community. So that was that was the first step
0: out. It seems like what brought you out of what you called the limitations of an insular community was was film that gave you a bit more robustness to your, your life experience.
1: Absolutely. And then I carried that into film school. So I, um, yeah, I graduated high school. I, I did spend a year in Israel in seminary. I, I, mm-hmm. I did do that and that was great. And then I went to Tisch and that was just another, super formative experience because um, now I was mm-hmm. really immersed it wasn't you know the internship I still went home every day I was still a kid I was still like 16 17 yeah. um and you know I was working for free which is illegal now but <laughs> I I did <laughs> I did work really hard and really long hours for free and um mm-hmm. and and now you know being in in tish was a real immersive experience yeah and, you know, at first it seemed like a struggle because I really had to balance almost like these dual identities I had, like I hadn't, um, learned or adapted in a way to really integrate them. So I felt like I was, you know, I had my Tish film life and then I had my Jewish life and I was trying to figure out, you know, how, how to do both and like how to be one person. And, yeah. and I think at the time it was, it, it, it was difficult. Um, I did have a professor who's still my mentor today, one of them. His name is Marco Williams. He's a, a documentary filmmaker. And he said something to me that that really still sticks with me today. And it was, you know, he said basically, um, your limitations or what you feel are your limitations are, is your power. It's what makes you unique. And he really like flipped that. and And I hadn't until that mm-hmm. moment... Really thought of it that way. I just thought, you know, I, I can't film on Shabbat, so how was I going to make my thesis films when I couldn't work on Shabbos? And how am I going to, you know, get people to work on my film when I can't work on theirs because of Shabbos and holidays? And and how am I going to navigate this whole thing? And I felt it was it, it, there were real limitations there socially and and career wise. And and the way that he reframed that for me um, was like a light bulb for me.
0: I want to get into that a bit more. You'd mentioned the struggle of just keeping Shabbat, keeping Shabbos, not being able to be a part of, of filmmaking on times of Jewish obligation and Jewish worship. Um, what was that experience like for you? Was it hard to explain that to your professors or your peers Were people understanding? Was there a strong Jewish community um, at Tish?
1: Not at Tish. no. There was no other observant there was one I'm sorry there was one I had one peer who um he was observant it was it was him and I and the entire program film program at that time and like probably like in Tish like because Tish is not just film it's theater it's like Mm -hmm. photography it's other things like there was we were like unicorns um and as a woman, forget mm-hmm. it. You know, like that. It was it was oh, it yeah. was very lonely um in that sense. And it wasn't, you know, it was my Jewishness was something that I needed to manage. You know, I needed to like get through. It, you know, so it definitely um you know, around the holidays, um, you know, telling a professor that I couldn't do something was was not easy. I had one guy who I still hold this against it. He was this awful, <laughs> like, he just, I don't even, this really um, non-sympathetic guy who who I know thought he was extremely progressive. Um, but when I said I needed, you know, holidays off, he, he looked at me, he's like, I wish, you know, why don't you take your schoolwork as seriously as you take your religion? Like that oh my that goodness. was like his, his answer. Um, so everything was, it was definitely... Um, not embraced in the least um, there was even a time I mean and and this is these are like the overt things um, that were struggles um, not the internal parts of it but there was I remember on the film floor on the edit floor um, I was there on the weekend work on Sunday working on something and I came up and and this is pretty wild there was a huge um, swat sticker on a Jewish professor's door And I went to, and I was just like, whoa, I didn't even like understand what I was saying. I went to take a picture of it with my flip phone. And have like an iPhone that, or maybe I first have it, but now I'm like aging myself. Um, they were coming mm-hmm. out then. So I'm not that old. Like people I'm had one them, of those too okay? when I was younger. <laughs> it wasn't like, <laughs> but I didn't have one and I went to take it and like I was scolded. They said, you can't take a picture of that. And they just kind of like erased it as if nothing happened. They came, they wiped it off the door wow. and it was gone. So it was like, everything was like, just keep it quiet keep everything yeah. under the radar, keep it quiet. I would, if I needed kosher food, I would never say, I would just not eat or I would um, uh, bring my own stuff. But I never wanted to like inconvenience people with my own observance. So I really, you know, it was known, but I, I, I didn't want to put it on. That That's how I thought of it at the time. So.
0: And you, you mentioned that, Being a woman added another level of challenge to your experience in college. Can you tell us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um. On the, I mean, on the Jewish side and 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 the film side. I mean, the film industry, like most industries, is extremely misogynistic. Um. Yeah. And you know, it's trying to change now with so you know, like so many others. But, um, yeah. Like even within the Tish world, with my peers, like you can see that you know, the cinematographers were always the boys, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the women were were mostly like the producers, um, there wasn't, so there Mm -hmm. was definitely a gender divide there. Like when people were crewing up, you know, the, the, the boys used, you know, wanted other boys, men, whatever to, to be on their crew. So there definitely was like very gender there. Um, so to have to Prove myself as a woman was difficult, and then like as this observant orthodox woman, it was like a double, triple whammy. Like I yeah. was not taken seriously at all. It was like I, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. That's that's what I was thought of, and, and all of that. So that was difficult, and then, you know, at, at this same time, you know, I, I was and still am in different ways, like deeply observant, and I was. I ended up getting married when I was my junior year. So like mm-hmm. navigating, um, that just, you know, that was such like an outlier thing to do. Um, yeah. Within there was, you know, I was like, it was like, who is that? Who's that girl? Like, she just got married. Like, okay. Like that was very weird. It was almost, someone told me it was almost like in a way, like I was a counterculture cause like mm-hmm. nobody was doing that. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was to navigate, um, on the film and professionally dealing with that, and then on the Jewish side, you know, trying to stay under the radar, but also having to not at the same time was difficult.
0: It's really interesting what you said that you were the counterculture. And I, I kind of feel like that's almost an empowering way of seeing it, that you're doing things that are hard and that are also truly distinct to who you are as a person. Has that influenced the work that you do and the stories that you tell through film today?
1: Totally. I, I think I I think mm-hmm. that's a and that's a really great connection um that you have made actually that I hadn't yeah. thought of myself. But um I think <laughs> I, I I do look for for subjects and stories that are Counter to the culture, the current culture, whatever mm-hmm. that is, um, people that are going against the grain, movements that are working against the grain, that are trying to reframe, reclaim, redefine um, things are 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 what interests me. It's it's people who are not going to go along with the status quo. Um, so I'm always always looking for those other other unicorns um for sure and and that and that has that deeply influences what I choose to work on
0: yeah can you give us some examples of those stories that you've been telling
1: yeah so 93 queen is is I guess the greatest example of that uh because Mm -hmm. you know it was 2013 or maybe I probably read the article I have to check back when I read it at like in 2012 um I first read about this woman, Roche Fryer, who wanted to start this all-female ambulance corps uh, because the existing corps, Hatzalah, bans women. And so many mm-hmm. so many things went off in my head when I read that. It was like, first of all, I grew up with Hatzella, It never occurred to me that women were banned. Like, I couldn't believe that I had never noticed that. So that, mm-hmm. on many levels, was really disturbing. And then here's, um, here's a woman and a group of women who... Are, who are not taking no for an answer and saying like, if you're not going to let us in, we're going to do our own thing. And I found that extremely compelling. And that really started my journey of capturing Ezra Sneshen, which is an, you know, an all-female ambulance corps and became the first all-female ambulance corps in the U.S. Um, and really wow. being there at the genesis of that, uh, truly capturing what it took to form Um was an incredible process. Um, I'm, a, I'm an immersive filmmaker, so um, I like, I with my collaborator subjects, I'm filming things that are really happening, right? You can make, so I primarily make documentaries right now, and there are many different ways to make a documentary. You can make an archival documentary. You can um, make a historical documentary. My my style is, is called Verite Filmmaking, which is, Capturing mm-hmm. what's what's really happening in the moment that it's happening. So in real time. Um, and, and that's so I, I spent five years <laughs> really capturing the formation and watching these women um, and Rookie just like obstacle after obstacle, just getting up and keep going despite the opposition, despite how many people said it would never happen, um, despite communal pressures. Um, they... They were revolutionary and continue to be. They still have opposition today. So um, that, I think, is a very clear example of, of a work that um, the counterculture work that, that draws me.
0: I love that so much for a lot of reasons, one of which being the a lot of the conversation in the Jewish community about Jewish representation in pop culture is about how massively stereotypical our stories are when they're ever told, especially Jewish women. We're either the characters wearing the blue sweater at a Christmas party or we're someone who is escaping the Orthodox community because of, um, abuse or whatever, um, had, had occurred internally, but we're never telling, um, positive stories. We're never telling stories about women who are banding together, um, and and finding empowerment through the Jewish identity, and and you did that. You did share a story that was empowering. Was that done intentionally, or did that happen just through your very life?
1: intentionally? So I, you know, before <laughs> and not trying to put a feather in my own cap, but like before Shidduch, before all that, all the Hasidic. Um, exploration that is happening now in many ways um I started making this film because as a film student right and as a filmmaker I wasn't seeing anything and it was all stereotyped and part of how I got working with Ruch and the Women was because I I I said we need to tell a story from within and to amplify your voice give you a platform to tell your own story we disagree heavily on many many things (laughs) um Across the board, but this is but that's okay, right? Because conflict is human, and there's a lack of humanity that we're seeing in Jewish representation. So, um, I very intentionally wanted to show um, an authentic portrayal, and again, authentic doesn't mean you know, rosy Pollyanna like everything is great. It's just it means it's authentic. Um, so that was that was really really intentional, and it took me. You know, a while to get people on board. You know, in the film community, right? Because exactly, people want people want at the end of the film for for rookie to leave or these women to leave to take off their shackles of oppression, uh, throw off their wigs, and and kind of be done with it. And that's not what happened. So um, it took it took time to to get the the funding and to get the support and. Thankfully, though, the, the film community, the documentary community really did rally for the film, which was, which was great.
0: That's incredible. One thing I love, the way that you, I mean, coming back to this term of counterculture, is that you show a, a, a story of Jewish women where Jewish women are strong. Um, and I think that that seems so fundamentally simple, but is so infrequently shown in film. Um, and you've also been a part of, of Jewish film festivals with other films. And you've, you've been a part of telling these stories, like with The Fitting Room um, and other projects like that. Do you see this continuing forward into your career being a, a focus of your work? Or do you want to branch out into new directions?
1: Yeah. So I say, like, I don't discriminate <laughs> uh, in terms of, like, my film topics and, and, and people I want to follow. Um, the film I'm working on right now is not Jewish-based at all. Um, it's not not, but it's not, it's not specifically Jewish. And and so I think it's, you know, but my, that being said, like my, I, I have a very strong Jewish identity and, um, and I will come back to that. So um, I think like any artist, like it's, it's story by story. So the story I'm working on now happens to not, um, but I mm. can't say for certain, but I, I do see definitely um a more Jewish Jewish quote stories um, in my future for sure.
0: Can you tell us a bit about the documentary that you're working on now?
1: Yes, yeah, so it is working titles called Aftershock. Um, mm-hmm. I'm co-directing it um, and co-producing it with Tanya Lewis Lee and it's it it is about the broadly about the U.S. maternal health crisis. Um, we follow two families or rather two two um, men whose partners have died preventable deaths due to childbirth and their galvanization of activists, birth workers, and physicians to really combat this crisis. So it's um, yeah. it's a subject-driven film. We're following real people, families affected, change makers on the ground, um, and, and really exposing the system.
0: I mean, you want to talk about an empowering project. You are talking about I mean, America is a country that for highly developed countries has one of the worst maternal health rates in the world. Um, and that's something that has existed for decades and has not been changed. And here you have two female directors, roles that women weren't able to be in uh, just a few decades ago. And you're talking about this issue that hasn't been exposed or hasn't been acted upon yet. Um, what has that been like for you, being a part of this project and working with these families as a woman in that role of empowerment, in that role of kind of Breaking a glass ceiling.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a really um, amazing experience. We're we're deep in the edit, so we're still very much I'm um, very much in it as as we speak. Um, but the collaboration has been um, has been incredible. Many of the the subject collaborators, it's a joint process um, in the film are are black women and black people. Um, so partnering with a Black woman on this is really, really essential, and um, I think mm-hmm. any film and, and project that I do, I really enjoy working with a diverse crew and diverse partnerships, and I had that in 93 Queen as well. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, who you make art with is just as important as the art itself, so being, mm-hmm. you know, welcomed in into communities that I don't normally go into, um, as a white skinned person and and really kind of, um, listening, learning and, and understanding that lived experience as best as I can has been very, very formative for me. And, and as a mother, you know, I come into it with my own birthing experiences. Um, some very traumatic, uh, I've had very traumatic pregnancies. So I come with, with that hat on, um, and those are the lived experiences that I, I can relate to, but as a white-skinned woman and I, I can't relate to someone someone's lived experience who has black skin. So so the fact that I have this partnership and it's it and we complement each other, Tani and I, um, in terms of lived experience and perspectives. And it's been really fruitful um, to work in that environment and, and to, as I said, make art with people um, with other, other communities. It's great.
0: Definitely. As you were saying, continuously throughout this conversation, you tell these really authentic stories with really authentic voices um, and they're bound to have impact. What impact do you hope will come from the the projects that you've built and what impact do you hope will come from future projects that you hope to be a part of?
1: And thanks for bringing up impact because I do... Of course. um, I think film is such a powerful medium and it has so much potential for impacts. It's such a visceral experience and it really brings people together in a way that other mediums don't necessarily do that um, so I think impact is is like all over that um, I, you know per so I, you know like like 93 queen and now this new film um each film has their own impact focuses um so especially in, do, in documentary like um, a lot of times, like you'll have a robust impact campaign that's going to be released alongside the film. Um, mm. As I was saying, like the impact for the impact campaign, the focus of that is different for each film. So for Ninety Three Queen, it was kind of it was twofold because it was to show authentic representation that can be its own impact, but then there's the real 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 tangible impact which is helping uh to get them an ambulance license and an ambulance and and raise awareness of this organization that people can support um for the maternal health film it's really using the film for cultural shift in how we understand birthing um and allowing it to become a tool for activists to use to to lift up um the work that they're doing so um Yes, impact is, is very, very important to me, and I hope, you know, future stories, um, especially stories that do explore Jewishness, um, can bring bring a new perspective to Jewish representation or, or rather, you know, give us different, different rep- you know, different representation or more authentic representation.
0: And that really brings us to our last question. Um, through this podcast, we say it every week, but we really want this to feel like we are giving young women the access. I mean, everyone, but in particularly young Jewish women, the access to mentors in fields that they might be interested in, but won't have access to, to mentors um, on a daily basis. Um, and so we want everyone to feel like they're walking away from this conversation with some guidance, navigating the world as a person and as a Jewish woman. Um, Can you tell us a bit about what, what advice you wish you would have gotten when you were starting your career and what advice you want young girls to know now?
1: Mm. I know it's a a loaded question. (laughs) Well, I think I'll just, you know, echo the advice that was given to me, which from, from Marco, um that, that, you know, at the time I probably it, it definitely hit, but it's really just can has amplified as the years have gone by that, you know, to look at things that you think are limitations or obstacles and use that as your power, use it as your strength because that's only something that you have. Um And nobody, there's only one of you in this world. So the way you tell a story is going to be unique no matter what, because there's just one of you. Um, And you don't have to worry about what other people are doing. It's stay stay focused on the work. There's a lot of noise outside, especially with social media. And um, if if for filmmakers out there and artists, like just pour that energy into the work, get the work out um, make it, put it into action rather than just talk. Um, so I, I, guess I would say that and also like look for community, you know, build, build, find like-minded people. Um, I think especially for Jewish women, um, observant Jewish women when whatever that means to them. Um, you know, there's, I think we're not always, especially in the film industry because, and that's a whole other podcast, but because of representation and how Jewish stories are told and Jewish role in Hollywood um, and all that, we're very reluctant, I think, to be outwardly Jewish in a way that's proud. Um, I think there's a lot of apologizing and stereotyping. So um, I would say that that being said, there are people who are quietly um, don't feel that way and want more authentic representation, and, and are are bothered by it. So there there are many of us out there, and it's hard to um, not always have the outlet to talk publicly about this for various reasons. But um, there are a lot of quiet conversations going on. There is banding together of of. Jews and Jewish women within film. Um, so I would say, you know, you're not alone in that to whoever's out there.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor to to speak with you today um, and to sit down and have this conversation. I think you're doing wonders for having really positive representation for the Jewish community. So thank you for all that you do. And thank you for coming and speaking to us. It's been so wonderful to speak with you today. And I'm excited for everyone to hear this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your work. Really,
0: really appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) A lot of the issues we discuss on this podcast relate to this idea of intersectionality. The idea that struggles or oppression change at the places where your identities intersect. Each minority group faces unique challenges, and those challenges deserve to be acknowledged. As it relates to this podcast, we talk a lot about the intersecting experience of being a woman, a Jewish woman, an Orthodox Jewish woman, all at once. As it relates to Paula Izelt's experience, the challenges that she faces in the film field are unique. She is a woman who faces sexism. She is a Jew who faces antisemitism. And she's an Orthodox Jew who exists in a society that isn't designed to make life necessarily easy for Orthodox Jews. In response to intersectional challenges, Iselt has decided to tell intersectional stories. For so long, the only stories that are told of Orthodox women are stories of victimhood, ones of abuse and hardship, and those stories do need to be told, but they can't be the only ones that we're telling. Iselt doesn't just show Orthodox women as victims, She shows Orthodox women as heroes, and that kind of changes the game. Paula Eiselt is so much more than a nice Jewish girl. She's a Jewish woman who tells the stories of Jewish women that have never been told before, giving her community the representation it deserves. And I'm so proud to have had the opportunity to speak with her today. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls, hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. Your feedback is critical to making this podcast the best that it can be. So don't forget to contact us at podcast@jewishunpack.com with any feedback or suggestions. And join us next week, when we'll be speaking with New York Times journalist, Nellie Bowles. Nice Jewish Girls is the production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivky Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpack.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. Don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.